We're still in Galatians, the first uh, five verses, and these are so important. They are the foundational verses for this text. In case you weren't with us last week, Paul is writing to a number of churches, we think, in the southern, what is known as the southern Galatia. There's the northern ethnic Galatia. We talked a little bit about that. We think that this is Paul's first epistle, although there is debate over that. But it seems likely that that's the case. And he is, he is setting his uh, case here in no uncertain terms for the certainty of the gospel. This is the certain plan of God in these uh, five verses. He says this in verse 1, and, and we'll read the first five verses again. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the rock solid. If you imagine a rock in your mind or a huge granite face as you're coming around a mountain, something that is extremely solid, something that provides the foundation for everything else that he is going to write in this book, in this letter. If, um, if we get these five verses, we get Galatians. Listen very carefully. If we don't get these five verses, we miss it all. That's how important they are. Uh, if we understand the, the first five verses in this epistle, then the whole epistle opens up to us and we begin to understand its truths and its beauty. It can really pierce our hearts. But if we don't understand the certainty of this plan and you get this sense as he's going through these verses that this is rock solid, everything is according to the certain plan of God. It was the certain plan of God that Paul be an apostle. It was the certain plan of God that he plant these churches in the southern region of Turkey, Asia Minor. It's a certain plan of God. And it's a certain plan of God that he delivers this message, this all-important gospel. And if we get the gospel right, we get everything else right. If we get the gospel wrong, we get everything wrong. It's impossible to move to the fruit of the Spirit and begin to talk about the things of the Spirit. It's impossible to talk about legalism. It's impossible to talk about going back to the Mosaic Law and the Sinaitic Covenant and all of these different things unless we first understand the basic truths of the Gospel. And as we hear the Gospel preached, the older that we get in Christ, the more we love it the richer these things become. If we have the attitude that says, well, we've heard this message before, we don't understand the gospel. If our spirit says, well, we, we understand the basics, it's time to move on from the basics, we get to a certain point where we move on from the gospel. Listen, we never move on from the gospel. 
The gospel is the foundation of all that we believe, all that we think, and all that we act upon. We don't live the gospel, but we live out from the gospel. We live out from its truths. And so he comes and he tells us these astounding truths, these beautiful uh, truths that are in the scripture here for us to understand and for us to even worship over. The first thing that he tells us is that God gave himself in his son. This is the forethought of the greatest gift ever. There was, um, there was forethought here. Before we ever knew that we even needed a gift, before we ever recognized that we needed anything, God knew that we needed something. And he destined before time to give us the greatest gift that this world has ever known. Now, uh, sometimes we'll get gifts and we'll look at gifts and we'll think to ourselves, well, thank you very much for the gift, but uh, I didn't know that I even wanted this. And years down the road, we begin to appreciate it. Um, Like mom or dad giving clothes on Christmas. And little Johnny opens up the carton and the box and sees some clothes and he's thinking, I I didn't want clothes, I I wanted a BB gun. I don't know what I need these for. But in uh, years later, he begins to look past that, and he begins to look beyond that, and he is thankful for that. If I, um, if I gave a child right now a, a bucket filled with pure gold coins, they might have some kind of appreciation for it. They might fling them at each other with other kids. They might trade them for bubble gum. Uh, and who knows what else they would do with the gold coins, and kids can figure out all sorts of inventive ways to use different things uh, for inappropriate uh, purposes. But if we gave them that bucket of, of gold coins, they wouldn't really appreciate it at the moment. But if somehow they were able to hold on to that set of coins... Years later, they would recognize that there was some forethought that went into that gift. And all of a sudden, at some point in their life, they would begin to appreciate what they were given. And this is, in some way, exactly what Christ has done for us. He has given us a gift. And it's interesting, when he first gives us this gift, when he came to his own, John chapter 1 tells us, his own didn't receive him. In fact, that's the heart of all of us. He gives us a gift and we say, no, thank you. Please push the gift away. We don't even really understand it. We don't even really need it. We don't even really like it. We would be much more mesmerized, Lord, if you gave us something else. Something else like food. If you gave us some uh, loaves of bread and some fish, then we'd be happy. Then we'd like you. If you remember in the feeding of the 5,000, that is exactly what Jesus is doing, is he's feeding them. The next day they come back and uh, they say, we want some more food. And they love Jesus because in many ways he's he's takeout, he's Burger King, he's, he's McDonald's. So it's like, Lord, we're coming back to you for some more food. And he says, you don't understand why I came. I am the food. I am the bread of life. This is the reason I came. I'm the gift. And yet people were looking at it like a child would look at a bucket of gold coins. They say, oh, that's, that's nice and everything, but no thank you. And so until in our minds we understand who Jesus Christ is, we can't even understand the gospel. 
until there comes within our hearts an appreciation for who he is and the fact that he gave himself for us, then there's really nothing going to happen in our hearts. We can, uh, we can come to church and we can go through all the motions. And listen, there are a lot of people who go to church, listen, that profess the name of Christ that are not saved. They're not saved. I was talking to a pastor this week. I was sitting at a table with him. And we were talking about all of the people who are in church who profess the name of Christ. And, and not just City Light Church, but we're talking about the church in, in the world, the church in America, profess the name of Christ. But they don't know Christ as a gift, that he's everything. He's our everything. Without Christ, we don't live. We don't breathe. We don't have anything. He's everything to us. I, I guess I would just stop for a moment and just ask you a, a simple question. Is Christ everything to you? Is, is he a gift to you? Do, you? do you look at Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for being there, and I see some nice things about you? Or does your heart really long after him as the gift, the greatest gift that ever could come into the world? In fact, I think one of the, one of the problems that we're going to face, and I, I think this is going to happen increasingly within the church, is persecution. We talk a lot about persecution, especially as we see morality continue to fail in our nation more and more. We see all sorts of signs of problems. But as persecution continues to come within the church, I believe a large part of it, in large measure, it is going to come from said Christians. That's where the persecution is primarily going to come from. It's going to come from people who are saying, oh, we are, we're Christians, we understand, we, we know what it's like to be a Christian. You're not. You're the intolerant bigot. And all of a sudden, the lines are going to be drawn. Let me, let me ask you a question, just in your own heart, you can answer this. But who was it who primarily persecuted Christ? Was it the Romans? Well, the Romans sure had their hand in things, didn't they? And they sure didn't receive the gospel of Christ. Some of them did. But what was interesting was persecution came from the religious people. It came from the Pharisees. It came from the Sadducees. And it's going to come from all different wings, liberal wings, wings that do not accept. Listen, the reason we stress this is it's wings who do not receive Christ as the supreme gift. Now, Christ gave himself. He gave himself. And the Bible tells us that he gave himself for our sins. We, we know this. But he gave himself voluntarily. In other words, it wasn't the Father up in heaven saying, listen, I, um, I need somebody to go rescue mankind. He didn't send an angel. An angel could never uh, save mankind. He didn't send a, a political deliverer. He didn't send uh, any of the emperors of Rome to deliver. But the Bible tells us in John, you know the, the famous verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. But God the Son didn't say, and God the Son has always been, he's eternal. He's always been there. There was never a time when the Son was not. But it wasn't as if the Father said to the Son, Son, I, I want you to do something. I want you to go give your life. I want you to become a human, a man. And I want you to give your life uh, for the sins of the world. And the son was going, 
no, I really don't want to, I really don't want to, and the father's saying, but I want you to, and finally the son says, okay, I'll go give, I'll go give my life. It's interesting, some people talk of this, this whole idea of uh, Christ being a gift, and the father sending his son. You'll actually hear people talk about this is divine child abuse. Uh, that's pretty stunning. That's, those are harsh words. But you'll hear people talk like that. What kind of father would send his son to a bloody cross? And so they'd say if, if a father would design that, he would actually send his own son to his own death, surely he must not be a good, very good father. In fact, uh, here we are on Father's Day celebrating fathers. And the greatest father of all is the father of all, of this whole universe. And so the question is, what do we say to that? So you have people out there who say, well, yes, he's a gift, but it's kind of this forced gift. If the father sends him and the son is going, no, I don't really want to, but I guess I'll do it, then what kind of gift is that? I want you to open your Bibles here and notice this. It says here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, this is, this is the text that we're looking at. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ there at the end of verse 3. And then it says this, who gave himself. In other words, the gift is Christ. And the Father wasn't forcing any issue. In fact, this was in the Father's plan, but it was also within the Son's will. It was the son's desire. He said, Father, send me. I want to go. This is voluntary. And by the way, this isn't like a father-son relationship with a little child. We're simply talking about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, and it's infinitely different. But there is some kind of relationship there that is similar. And so when it's talking here in the Scripture about giving himself, who's it talking about? It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the Lord Jesus who gave himself. He said, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go. You don't have to beg. We want to put it in human terms. The father's not up there pleading and trying to convince Jesus against his will. But it's Jesus willingly, voluntarily, the son of God, saying, I'll go to earth. And I'll voluntarily lay my life down. It was Jesus who gave his life. In fact, the Gospel of John tells us the same thing. If you flip over to John chapter 10, John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 15, John chapter 10, verse 15 says this, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, Here's what Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. What does Jesus say? He's saying, I do it voluntarily. I do it willingly. I lay my life down for the sheep. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus is saying, as the Son of God, he's saying, I have the power not only to lay my life down, but I also have the power to raise myself from the dead. That's incredible power. We have 
we have this threefold witness in the resurrection. Who raised Jesus from the dead? The Father raised Jesus from the dead. The Son raised Jesus from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. And the Spirit, the Scripture tells us, had a part, a role to play in this. He also raised Jesus from the dead. So each one can say that he raised Christ from the dead. And Jesus is saying, not only do I have the power to lay my life down in death, that's pretty amazing. Who here has that kind of power to say, I'm going to die on such and such a day, but not only am I going to die, but I'm going to actually raise myself from the dead. I have power to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. But he gave his life, and we often talk about the cross, and rightly so. But when Christ came, he also came as a substitute with his life. He lived a life of perfect obedience for us in our place. You know, if Adam would have uh, passed a test in the garden, if he would have obeyed, at some point God would have said, because it was a test, in fact, some people call it a covenant, but if he would have passed the test at some point, God would have said, you've earned eternal life. And uh, so because of your obedience, you have resisted the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of your obedience, now you have earned heaven. You have earned eternal life. You and Eve, you have done everything right. But of course they didn't. And so Jesus came to this earth. But he didn't just go to the cross to take away the penalty for our sin. Somebody actually had to live in our place to earn heaven for us. So when we talk about Christ giving himself in this text, it's not only talking about the fact that Christ died on the cross for us, but it's also the fact that Christ lived for us. There's, there's a reason why Christ came and had an earthly ministry. He was fulfilling all righteousness in our place. I don't know if you've ever wondered about this, but why didn't Christ just come and the second he was old enough just go to the cross and pay for our sins? Well, because there was a life to be lived, a pure life, a holy life, a life without sin, a life under the law, a life of complete obedience. And why was he doing that? Just to give us a nice example? No, he was doing it in our place to fulfill the very righteous dictates and ordinances of God, earning for us heaven. See, if Christ would have just died in our place, he'd say, thank you, Lord. We thank you, and that takes off the penalty for our sin. But it just leaves, as John Gresham mentioned, we're going to see something that he says, it would leave us just back in the same place in the garden. The question is, who is going to be obedient in our place? Because the truth of the matter is, we're not obedient. In fact, we're, um, we're extremely fallen. And uh, the Lord even calls us on different occasions. You can see this in Matthew 7, 11. You can see this in Luke and other places. But he says, you being evil. I'm going to talk about not seeker sensitive. You being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. He says, you do some good things. But he tells us at our very hearts, we're, we're evil. We're, we're disobedient children. When John Gresham Machen was dying, um, one of the great pastors and theologians of the past century, he wrote a profound book called Liberalism and Christianity. And when he was dying in 1937, right before he died, 
he sent a, he sent a, a wire. It wasn't an email back in those days. And it wasn't even a Twitter or a tweet. But he, he sent a telegram. I, I'm even old enough to remember when the Internet came into existence. I actually remember, uh, remember writing real letters. What, what a thought. Never sent a telegram, though. Never sent a telegram. Maybe, maybe somebody here has. But, but here's, here's, what, um, here's what he says here before he dies. He says, I'm so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. I'm so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. And then he died. You know what he was thinking of before he died? Of course he was thinking about the cross. But he was thinking about the fact that God demands perfection. Matthew chapter 5. You must be perfect even as your father, your heavenly father is perfect. And he wasn't. And in order to get into heaven, you need to have a perfect life. Well, fat chance. None of us are perfect. So what did Christ do? He came and he lived the perfect life in our place, thereby meriting for us heaven. And so right before he died, you know what he's thinking of? He's thinking, I thank God that when I die, my life is not my own, but it's hid within Christ. I'm so thankful that Christ lived in my place. Thankful that, that when I stand before the Lord, he's not going to look at my life and judge whether my life is good enough to get into heaven. Can you imagine? Guilty, 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 guilty. But he was saying, this is the only plea I have. Christ lived and died for me. And he writes this, and this kind of explains it even a little bit better in more clear terms. He says this, that the covenant of works was, was a probation. If Adam kept the law of God for a certain period of time, he was to have eternal life. That's what we were just talking about. If he would have kept the law of God, he would have merited eternal life. If he disobeyed, he was to have death. On the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Well, he disobeyed and the penalty of death was inflicted upon him and his posterity. Then Christ, by his death on the cross, paid that pen penalty for those whom God had chosen. Well and good, he goes on to say. But if that were all that Christ did for us, do you not see that we would be back in just the situation in which Adam was before he sinned? The penalty of his sinning would have been removed from us because it had all been paid by Christ. But for the future, the attainment of eternal life would have been dependent upon the perfect obedience to the law of God. We should simply have been back in the probation period again. So what did God do? He sent Christ to, first of all, he sent him... He gave himself, that's what the text says here, he gave himself. How did he give himself? He first of all gave himself in his life. You say, well, where is this in the Bible? We're talking about Adam and Eve and the substitute and this and that for the life. But let's go to Romans chapter 5 to see this just a little bit clearer. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. 
verse 19. Romans 5, verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So we fell in Adam. His disobedience caused the whole human race to fall. Here it is, though. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. How are you and I going to be made righteous? We are going to be made righteous by the life and the death of Christ. So he he lives in our place and then he dies in our place. He gave himself. So what's going on on the cross? The weight of the sin of the world. The weight of the sin of the world was laid upon him. I mean, the depths of sin, it's darkness. Listen, we, we've tasted our own sin. We've tasted some of the sins of others. But can you imagine the darkness of the sin of the world for all time being pressed on your shoulders? You want to talk about the majesty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He is awesome. Oh, is he awesome. And as he is suffering on that cross, no majesty that we should desire him. So we look at him, we see a deeper majesty than just his physical frame. There was such a beauty about Christ. But all the sins of the world, the wrath of God, the punishment, when we talk about the sins, we're talking about the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins. So this whole life of Christ is complete. When he gave himself, we're talking about his active obedience, and it can't be separated ever from his passive obedience. That is, the wrath of God is pressed upon him, and he pays the penalty for our sin. So when we come to Christ, we say, you lived in my place, Lord. You lived the perfect life I could never live, and you died and you paid the penalty for the sin, the sins that I could never pay for. I could spend all eternity trying to pay them. I'd never, ever be able to pay for my sins. In fact, that's the next thing that our text tells us. He gave gave himself for what? He gave himself for our sins. He knew the depth of our problem. God knew, God knew exactly what we needed. He, he knew we needed gold coins. And he, he knew that we needed a lot more than that. He knew the problem with us, the problem with everyone in America, the problem with every person in China, the problem with every person in Russia, the problem with every person everywhere is sin. How do we know that sin is a problem everywhere? Because all men die. You can't go to any place on the, on the face of the earth and find a group of people that's been alive forever. Why is that? Because all have sinned. And in this sin nature, not only are we born into sin, but we have sinned over and over and over again in our lives. Countless sins. And the truth is we don't really like to hear messages about sin. But unless we understand the need, and Christ understood it, God the Father understood it, the Holy Spirit understood our greatest need, that's why he came. And so a lot of people say, I don't, I don't need to hear this. This isn't even relevant to my life. Thank you very much. But there are certain people whom the Holy Spirit is working on. 
and they're beginning to feel the weight of their own sin, all of the wrong things that they have done in their life. We spend so much time trying to prop people up, trying to make people feel better about themselves, try to numb people from guilt and from shame. These things are real things that God has given to us. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there wasn't only guilt. They knew they were guilty. There was, there was rightful shame. And so what we're told is you don't need to feel shame. You be who you are. And what we're seeing is out of the heart, all of these different sins come out of the heart. And we're trying to say just accept me for me. And all of the darkness, all of the evil is coming out of people's hearts, coming out of our own hearts. And guess what? People aren't finding any freedom. They're not finding any forgiveness. And it doesn't help for anybody to walk into the church and just to tell them, listen, you need to just feel good about yourself. Because grace will never, will never mean anything to a person who simply hears that. I want you to think about what we do with sin. We debate about sin. We excuse it. We get defensive over it. We redefine it. We blame others for it. We criticize others for talking about it. We mock others for caring about it. And we compare ourselves to other people's sins. And this in and of itself is sin. All of this is sin. Not caring. Not caring about the holiness of God. And so when Christ came, he came, the scripture tells us, for our sins. It's interesting here, Paul is a, Paul is a sin fighter. He's going to talk a lot about the law here and why we are not under the Mosaic law. But this does not mean that he is just for sin and just for redefining ourselves any way that we choose. But he came to save us from our sins. This is why he came. Have you ever, um, have you ever seen yourself as a sinner? You know, a real sinner. You've gotten to the point where you go, I'm a sinner. And you begin to despair as you look at your life. And you begin to see all of the different sins in your life. And you begin to feel the rightful guilt. You begin to feel the rightful shame all over those different sins. That's how we should feel. There should feel a sense of conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's interesting how many times Paul lists different sins. He lists them. This is sin, this is sin, this is sin. You can read them in different places in his epistles. You can go to Romans 1 to find a, to find a nice list of sins where he just lists all of these different sins. And so what he's telling us is that Christ came to save us from our sins, to grieve over our sins, to get to the place where we admit we're number one a sinner and there's nothing that we can do about it. God, help us. Help us in our sins. He's a sin fighter. But he doesn't just tell us that he came to give us for our sins, but that he came to deliver us from the power of this age. You might not feel like it right now, but if you go over to Genesis chapter 6, 
you'll see a lot of what is in Genesis 6 happening today. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says this. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. The wickedness of man was great in the earth. Could that be said of today? Could we say that wickedness is uh, great in the earth? And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart, that is of mankind, was only evil continually? Constantly thinking evil thoughts? So here's what Christ does. He comes to deliver us from our own sins. This is, a, this is the major step to being free. You want to be free? Christians are desirous of being free. They have been freed. It's coming to a place where we say, I'm a sinner. And then he takes us from our sins and he implants in us this gift of the Holy Spirit. And with this Holy Spirit, now we have a, a brand new nature, brand new desires, brand new longings. And because of that and because of this great gift of Christ himself, he delivers us from our sins and he delivers us from this evil age. That's exactly what it tells us here. Who delivers us from this present evil age. Age. So here's the difference between a Christian. When it's talking about this evil age, it's not talking about he's going to take us to heaven someday. That's true. This isn't talking about someday there's going to be a new heavens and new earth and we're going to be in a new age. He's talking about this evil age right now. That God has given you the power as Christians, all of us, the power as Christians, every one of us who has the Holy Spirit resident within us, to resist the powers of this evil age. We don't have to go along with it. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We can be different. You know what I want to encourage kids to do more and more? I want to encourage all of us. I want us to all rebel. I mean rebel big time. Just be completely rebellious. And here's what I want us to rebel against. This evil age. We simply say no to the world. But it's not just going, oh, I really want to go along with the world. I really like the way the world thinks. You remember Lot's wife? God says to Lot, he says, now get out of Sodom, get out of Gomorrah here, get out of Sodom. And uh, his wife goes along with him. And yet the Bible says that she's looking back. She's going, oh, I long for the things of Sodom. If I can only be there. Heart. What's going on? Her heart is going back and back. Of course, she turned into a pillar of salt. I don't know if they used her for any meals after that or what, what happened to her. Well, listen, this, this, is not, this is not about grinning and bearing it. I'm a Christian. I've said I'm a Christian, and I'm going to resist the things of the world, and I'm going to be different because I have to, different because I'm supposed to be different. No, no, no. This is coming from the heart. Isn't it John, it says in 1 John, and his commandments are not burdensome to us. So as we're following Christ, yes, there's a fight over sin. Is there temptation? Are there temptations in our life? Of course. Is there sin? Sin that is still in our life? Of course. There's this sanctification process that happens for the rest of our life. But there's this desire within our heart that says no to the world. 
No to the world. I don't want the world. It's not attractive. It's not appealing. It's not something I, I look forward to joining. I don't want to be a part of the world. Here, here, here's the message. This is why Paul is saying this in the very beginning. We get this message. We get the rest of it. So he says he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. And then we close with this. Notice what he says. He wants us to appreciate this, this plan. By the way, just very quickly here. The, the evil age has a couple arguments. The first argument is sin is not really sin. You, you, that's not really, it's not really bad to do this or that. You say, well, why don't you go ahead and list a bunch of sins right now? Because we don't need to. We know what sin is here. And at this moment, it's not necessary, but we can think of all the different sins. But the evil age tells, tells us that sin is, is really not sin. In fact, the evil age would tell us the great sin is to define sin. Don't define sin for me. Don't be judgmental. Don't be critical. Shut down what you're saying. But here's what God wanted. Here is the whole purpose for this whole plan. He gave himself for our sins according there, verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. This is his will. This is the certain plan we're talking about. This is the plan of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what he's saying here? He's saying God put this all in place so that when we look at it with regenerated hearts, we go, wow. Wow. I didn't see it. I, I didn't even know I needed the coins. I didn't even know I needed a Savior. I, I, was, I was born this way. I had no clue as I was walking through this life that as I was sinning that I even needed somebody to come and save me. And all of a sudden, Christ comes in. And I learn that Christ is the gift and he's the one who's come for my sins and to, to deliver me from this present age. And as I'm, as I'm listening to this message, all of a sudden the heart is convicted. And with each passing day, we begin to see it unfold more and more clearly. It starts with salvation that beginning point of salvation, but it only continues through the rest of our life. When I was about 14 years old, I, I worked at a place called Flowerland Gardens. And it was in Clark Summit. And I used to hoe weeds for a, a lady, an elderly lady, who had hair on her chin. And I, I remember her very well, but she was, she was very sweet. She's now long dead. But as I used to look across the street, at one point they, they started building what is called now the Inn at Nichols Village uh, Hotel. And I remember that's where I lived at the time, and I remember daily watching them as they started with the base, started with the foundation. And day after day they began to build, and eventually it was this, this beautiful building, and I'd watch them as I was working at different times. It was this unfolding plan. And the more the building went up, the more it was like, wow, that's, that's pretty neat. And this is what is going on with God the Father. He's given us his plan, and at the beginning of our salvation, we say, wow, 
And we see, see the foundation, and the next day we see a little bit more, and we go, wow, awesome. And then a little bit more is built, a little bit more is built, and we'll be doing that for the rest of eternity, to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? Fathers, we come to you in, in Jesus' name. We thank you for your power. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ to both live in our place and to die in our place. He was the perfect substitute in everything that he did. And God, I pray that you would draw us to you, that we would be saying, wow. That the deeper we get into Christ, the more we would say, wow, to the glory of God the Father, that we would see your glory and we would glorify you. We would glorify you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, thank you, Lord. Uh, this We're talking here about the first time. You've never come to Christ before, and you need the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You saw today that he is your perfect substitute, that you can't cling to anything else except Christ, his life, his death lived in your place. If that's you, you say, I need Christ. First time, would you raise your hand? I need Jesus to save me. I need Jesus to save me. I need him. I need him. We'll wait just a moment. We'll wait just a moment. I need Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Come Holy Spirit. I need Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for every person present here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.